0: Welcome to episode 137 of Export Audio on Nora. I'm joined by Autumn. You're recording already? Yeah.
1: When did you tap over? I didn't even see you tap over to. I gave it time to get room tone. Oh. I was just like, oh, I'll just mess with my Kindle and I'll show up when Nora says it's time. And you just we're going. It's I love time. it. I love it, honestly.
0: We didn't watch Pirates of the Caribbean at World's no, End. No.
1: We're going to. Next week. Yeah.
0: I'm also. There's also going to be a podcast in this feed about Sinbad, Legend of the Seven Seas soon, (laughs) so send questions for that too, but please send in Pirates of the Caribbean and World's End questions. I don't think we got any yet.
1: Please do. Nothing would make me happier. We're going to have Jackson on for that. Um, We were going to record that today, but um, I'm just so fucking tired from work all the time. Uh, so two weeks ago, I worked 45 hours. Last week, I worked 41 hours. This week, I'm probably going to work 41 or 42. Next week, I get a little bit of reprieve. They've scheduled me 37, which makes me think I'll probably work 39. Um, I'm just tired, uh, and... I did not have it in me on my day off to, to watch a three-hour film and the podcast about it. So... Two hours and 40 minutes. 49 minutes. That's still not three hours. That is three hours. Do you know what an hour is? Two hours and 49 minutes is the same as three hours. Ten minutes of that is credits. Okay. Fair. Stilly, I did not have time to watch a two-and-a-half-hour film... Um,
0: you didn't have time to comfortably watch a two and a half hour film.
1: Yeah, that's the other thing is because we did Arcanum this morning, and I went to therapy, and then be- we I would have wanted if we were going to do it to come home, like, and start watching and maybe order some DoorDash partway through the movie, um, and then podcast about it. It would have just been a very long day. <laughs> Dude, it just would have been a very long day. Um, So we didn't do that. No. Uh, I was like, hey, I had a crazy idea. What if we spent time together that wasn't work? And here we are. (laughs) podcasting about it. Well, so, okay. We went and got Thai food at our Mm -hmm. favorite Thai place. Mm -hmm. Um, Nearby, anyway. There are other Thai places I've been that I like better, but this is my favorite one that's near us. And we went to a bookstore. Went to went to a bookstore and a comic store. Comic store, bad. I don't like it as much as so. So both of these, um, uh, I guess I could say the names of local businesses, right? Like sure. people aren't gonna dox us based. People know we live in St. Louis.
0: Nobody's gonna go to the Wizard Wagon and say, "Hey, I heard Export Audio is talking shit about your co- selection of RPG books." So, I'm more
1: worried about someone showing up at our home. <laughs> what does
0: that have to do
1: with... Well, I just was like, I just was like, oh, should I not say the names of local businesses? Because I don't want people to find out where we're at. But I'm not saying where we are. I'm saying, people know we live in St. Louis. We went yeah. to Subterranean Books and Wizard Wagon, which are both on the same street.
0: Subterranean was cool. I liked their old place better. I did like... It was cozier. But...
1: Yeah, I did... They're in a much bigger space now, Um, and I do like that bigger space, but I don't like how they're using it. It feels like a library now. It feels like a library now, and for all that extra space, there's still no seating. My biggest complaint, because they used to be in that really tiny place. They had two chairs. And they had two chairs. Now... There is still nowhere to sit, which maybe that's a COVID thing. Maybe like once COVID is over, they'll get some seats in there. They're not done moving in. They're not done moving. That in. back section was empty. Yeah, so maybe it'll get better. But, but um, the
0: last place was vertical. It had two two floors. There was a stairway to get up there. It was a very cramped and cozy in a yes. way that old, like bookstores can be.
1: There were also cats wandering around. There were no cats. There was a around. dog. There was a dog. I didn't see the dog.
0: No, at the old place.
1: Oh yes, there was a there. There weren't cats. There was a dog. Yes, sometimes. Yes,
0: very chill dog.
1: Um, I was briefly confusing him with the Raven. in Lawrence, Kansas had cats wandering around. Hmm. It's um,
0: good. It's good for a place to have been. Yeah. Meow meow.
1: Not that kind of cat. <laughs> um. Anyway. See, I. The other thing is that, like, with all the new space, mostly did mean a slightly expanded, like, um, SFF section. SFFD. Yeah, so they had, the sign said, Science Fiction, Fantasy, Dystopian. Dystopian is just science fiction. And sometimes fantasy. Rarely.
0: Rarely. I have never seen fantasy dystopia.
1: Yeah, I to guess... To my knowledge. I guess those are different things. Like, no...
0: Like... Uh, well, dystopia is not the same as post-apocalypse.
1: Yeah. But anyway, that's what it said. Science fiction, fantasy, dystopia. Which, yeah, I definitely think of dystopia as a subgenre of... I also think of dystopia as a more YA-focused hmm. tag. Well, so this is the thing. Is that I was... When we first walked in, I saw the sort of expanded section for... Um, science fiction and fantasy and i was like oh cool because they had they had a nice little selection before but it was in such a small space that there just wasn't much the stuff they had was good uh it's where we got my big book of Earthsea stuff like but they just didn't have a ton now they have more but what they really expanded was the ya section Mm -hmm. they also had a they have a pretty big literary fiction but they've always had a pretty big literary fiction Mm -hmm. they've always kind of been like the you're gonna come here to read because reading makes you smarter and like
0: yeah they always that kind of like the tote bag that has like an eye exam on it but it spells out read more books
1: yeah read more books the t-shirts that say book nerd Uh, this sort of vibe is, like, reading books makes you smarter. And particularly reading books about diverse people, Mm -hmm. um, and I'm saying that in sort of the incendiary way, where, like, sometimes I feel, uh, that book publishing, um, tokenizes people from from marginalized identities in order to sell them as products. Hold on. (laughs) Um... And so, yeah, like, if you...
0: It's its the type of place that has, like, an anti-Trump book right next
1: to a pro-Churchill book. It is the sort of place that has, um, it has, like, enamel pens off to the side of the register, and some of them were, like, typewriters and coffee mugs, and some of them were, like, it, there was, like, a display that said, feminist slogan buttons, and there was just like feminist buttons you could buy. You know? <sighs> Don't ask what feminism means. Um, feminism means when the wage gap is closed, so the girl boss.
0: Feminism is when you get to shoot men. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um. Anyway, we picked up some stuff. We picked up some books. I I just picked up. I looked at the the comics section got worse i think somehow it was ex- the comic section was expanded but i think they made it worse because it looked b- like 70 of the same book like I, there I, was the taller
0: books that you might expect from a comic section yeah. but then the the smaller you described it as a ya paperback shape yes form factor yes so we use form factor for books Is that i don't know um, they all look like the same damn book. Because it's all the same bright colors yes. and bubbly font. And it's like I'm not gonna... This is not it's, for me.
1: So yeah, that's the thing. Is I I don't want to say that they made it worse. I feel like that is naive of me. I think that YA graphic novels are the future of like comics publishing in the United States. Um, I think that these books are like I think, that, I I feel that the comics community too often discredits uh, the sorts of books like like what First Second puts out. There was a lot of First Second stuff, um, and it puts I don't, me I, off. But I don't want to participate in that. However, it is pretty profoundly not to my taste. It is not the thing that I look for at all. And they so it used to be that they had a comics section. There was some of that and some, like, more graphic novels marketed for adults. Um, And the graphic novels marketed for adults got cut down pretty dramatically other than some of the big sellers with the book crowd. So, like, my favorite thing is Monsters and Fun Home and Bitch Planet. Um, These sorts of things that appeal to um, the sorts of people who like, go-to subterranean books, like, the sort of books, the sort of comics that appeal to people who don't necessarily read comics all the time. And none of that is, I love, Fun Home is one of my favorite books. I almost picked up my favorite thing is Monsters. I don't care for Bitch Planet, but, like, I don't mean that any of that's discredit these books. But it, there wasn't any Batman. You were not going to find Batman at subterranean books. You were not going to find Brandon Sanderson's White Sand. You there was very little Brandon Sanderson. Very very little.
0: Surprising, but like not that surprising. Like they only had a couple of couple facings of like, I don't know Martin mm-hmm. Robert Jordan almost absent, which makes sense. Yeah, I feel like that's not as popular. A,
1: yeah,
0: a thing f- until
1: a year or two from now. Yeah. Then yeah, it'll it probably will... rock it back up.
0: Because they had the, the Witcher books with the Netflix yeah. styling.
1: Yeah. So once there's a Wheel of Time TV show, that'll be like, I think it'll be a hit, probably. Um, What was I going to say? I was going to say that, um, so yeah, from that section, I, I picked up My Favorite Thing is Monsters, which is like a book that I've been meaning to get since it came out, because it does look really good. Um, and for a long time it was that I couldn't afford it. The nice thing about working so much overtime right now is that I can't afford it. <laughs> I, I could, I was able, if I had wanted to, I could very easily have purchased My Favorite Thing as Monsters, uh, which is, like, a big, oversized, like, really nicely printed book. I think it was, like, 45 bucks plus tax, like, um, so I could have gotten that, but I ended up instead just getting, um, paperbacks of two things that I read in audio this year and I was like oh well I really liked these and I would really love to look at my bookshelf and see them so I picked up copies of Mexican Gothic um, and um, Shadow of the Wind. Um, I was kind of surprised Mexican Gothic was in the SFF section and I assume that is just because her other books fall under that umbrella. I would not categorize it's just a person in a dress on the cover. I don't. I didn't see anything science or fiction about that. So her other, her other books, I believe, have a more fantasy bent, and there are like paranormal elements. But I would describe Mexican Gothic as a horror novel. Um, you want to talk about a, a section that was fucking sparse? That horror section was fucking sparse. They
0: had a small section in the old place, but it was pretty tightly packed. Yes, they were aching to fill space. In the, with this one, and I know that, like, horror, like, probably doesn't sell that well to the clientele of Subterranean, mm-hmm. uh, but it was just like, oh, okay.
1: Yeah. I've never read a horror book, actually. Well... I guess I've read Salem's Lot, and that's about it. I mean, I've read...
0: Brandon wrote a horror short story. But, yeah. I would like to read more horror. I I just don't understand how you do a horror over like twelve hours. Mm-hmm. I don't get that. Um, I got a couple stuff. Yeah, what did you get? I got a book called No Note- Oh, I just went away. Notes from the Burning Age by Claire North, which seemed to be ne- it, From the description, seemed kind of neat. I don't know. It could also be a very funny, like anti-communism mm-hmm. thing about translating documents from a, a a forbidden dark age or something that the the state is like. No, we don't talk about the burning age. I'm assuming it's called the burning age. Yeah. And and this person is like a translator and is forced is like coerced by. A potent, i what I believe might be some kind of revolutionary party mm-hmm. into translating documents from that period, and the, they don't want to do that.
1: It, yeah, it really sounds like it could. It sounds like it could be good, or it sounds like it could be good um, fodder for like a segment one on Ars Arcana. Yeah, uh, <laughs> if I had read The People's History of the
0: Vampire Uprising this year, it would have been on Arcanum because I would have had a fucking bone to pick with that. You would have a
1: fucking bone to pick with that.
0: It's really frustrating. Um, I also got Dear Cinderon by Ekweki Emisi, which is, uh, I know that they wrote Freshwater, which is a book I liked like two years
1: ago. And I saw the. You literally just saw the cover and you saw the author's name yeah. and you were like, I I want to pick that up.
0: Yeah, I'm going to pick this one up.
1: Like you, because it was behind the counter, so you literally couldn't have even like grabbed it to like look at the summary. Like, yeah. I, I, I thought, because I was like, I had just bought my stuff and I was like wandering to go look at like they had a couple mugs and stuff. And your like whole attention was like, um, just like, taken with this thing to where I like wandered back over to you like oh no did Nora forget her credit card here I'll pick up the books or something um like I I thought that like something <laughs> wrong had happened but no you're just like you saw it and you're like oh shit I gotta get that I'm gonna yeah I'm gonna check this out um
0: seems neat uh and I also picked up on uh, I, another thing that I just happened to find it right at the end a book called Secrets of the Force which is, the subtitle is The Complete Uncensored, Unauthorized Oral History of Star Wars which I wouldn't have bothered with except that I flipped through and there are multiple, like, quotations from Alan Dean Foster Hmm. and I'm really
1: interested in what Alan has to say in 2021 about I Yeah, I'm so curious because I saw, like, I saw Alan was in there. I saw Lawrence Kasdan was in there. Rick, uh,
0: Rick Callum? McCallum? Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. That guy. You know that, that guy. guy. Yeah. I And, like, I was like, you know what? I don't think they've called Lawrence back since uh, The Force Awakens. Because he wrote the screenplay for The Force Awakens. And I don't think Lawrence Kasdan has worked on anything Star Wars since then. It goes through all of Star Wars. Mm-hmm. But I have to assume that... All of Star Wars is, you know, Disney like, stuff.
0: Revenge of the Sith was near the end of the book. So I'm hoping it's not just the main six, but it could be. I would understand if they haven't had a chance to write a book about the oral history of the sequel trilogy two years after it ended, you know? Yeah.
1: I really want want that book. Ten years from now, all the people who are like, I'm never working with Disney again. Fuck everything. I want that but
0: 20 years from now when it really doesn't matter and they can really say whatever.
1: Yeah. But I re- I want that book so bad because cause it's already starting to happen. It's already you get uh, J J Abrams saying in interviews, "Yeah, I think it would have been good if we had uh, had a plan from the start. From the start. Yeah. What if what if Wild? we made the first movie? Hey, by the way, uh-huh. you
0: know how old George Lucas was when he made Star Wars?
1: How old was he? Thirty three. Makes you think. Makes you think.
0: You know who else was thirty three? Jesus when he died.
1: Yeah. George Lucas died when he was 33. That's There's right. been an imposter running around. It was J.J. Abrams. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Um, <laughs> those are the books I picked up. Hopefully I read Hopefully, I read them. And then we went to The Wizard Wagon, which is a comic book store slash game store that also has too much space. Yeah, it used to be in like a pretty nice little spot in like the main thoroughfare of like the Loop, which is like a little downtown area, sort of. Um, it's not downtown, but it is like a sort of like, oh, here's like a bunch of cute little shops and restaurants. And now it's like, well... It's kind of out of the way of
0: that. We have a whole wall here
1: for so, manga.
0: Mm-hmm. And we have like three shelves of it.
1: Yeah. So the thing about subterranean moving felt to me... Like um oh we're doing pretty well. We can move into a new space. Um or you know, they moved two doors over. They moved two doors over into which, a bigger space. To be fair,
0: is a bigger space and fifteen feet closer to the, to the free parking. Yes. So
1: <laughs> yes. I
0: guess that's a better like location for for yes. traffic.
1: And also, is right next to the coffee shop now. Yes. Whereas before, it was a couple doors down from the coffee shop.
0: I think it was on the other side.
1: I don't remember. Anyway, I it, think it was on the other side of. It um, might have been. Sugar. It might have been because there's yeah that place is empty now. Okay, then yeah, you're right. Anyway, subterranean moving felt like oh, it's um, you know they're doing well and they wanted a bigger space. Going into Wizard Wagon, it was like, oh, down the street where there's not as many other businesses, rent is lower. It, Wizard yeah. Wagon felt kind of barren in a way. And that it their didn't hours used to. are
0: much less open now. Yeah, it felt they don't, they don't, they're not even open late like they used to be. They used to
1: close at like midnight. Well, because they used to close at midnight because people would hang out and play yeah. a Magic Gathering, and you can't do that anymore. Yeah, so they had like a. A lot of dead space.
0: Yeah. I don't know why this is like the store review podcast now. But I was frustrated because they have this two two sections of shelving for tabletop RPGs. And all of them were just front-facing, two book-deep facings of just D&D 5th edition. Hmm. And on the other one, like four Starfinder books mm-hmm. nothing else except for the most popular the the most expensive yes and biggest like there oh there was also the Pathfinder second edition core book, which is sixty dollars mm-hmm. like they had miniatures, not enough miniatures for the space that the miniatures took up, but like they didn't have anything other than fifth edition D and D and Pizo stuff, which was all Starfinder except for one copy of Pathfinder second edition, mm-hmm. and it's just like man, I'm never I'm never buying full price Wizards of the Coast shit. Yeah, when I played third and fourth edition campaigns for years, we got it at half price books mm-hmm. or Amazon, and we never paid more than ten to twenty dollars, even for like yeah. Core books, and it's like this. There's, they have to change something. Also, like I'm just thinking about Wizards of the Coast, and like mm-hmm. I know they make money from D and D, but like I don't know anybody who's going to spend fifty dollars mm-hmm. for like a a book with like just a handful of options in it, like the the. The splat books are so thin, there's barely anything in there, especially compared to, like, I feel like the 3rd and 4th edition books had a lot more stuff in them. Yeah, like that there that you can see... Martial Power 2. Yeah, it's, like, thin, but the the cover is not super thick.
1: I'm grabbing it down.
0: This is a pretty thin book. It's like, what is it, 150 pages. But there's just, like, stuff and stuff and stuff and stuff and stuff.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of stuff in here. Yeah. That's and there's both a lot of text, a lot of, like, um, here's some cool stuff you could do, and a lot of art. Yeah, there's there's a lot of art. Um,
0: But, you know, it just felt like those 5th edition split books did... Uh, also, this is martial power, too. Mm-hmm. This is like fourth-wave, fourth-edition books. Because there's, like, Player's Handbook. There's D- uh, DM Guide and um, Monster Manual. And then there's, like, oh, we here's Martial Power, Psionic Power. Well, not Psionic Power, because Psionics weren't until the third Player's Handbook. Mm-hmm. But, like, this is so far down the line where you're like, okay, you have to be running out of ideas. And it still feels like... A good amount of stuff is in this book, well, whereas that is like there's like three split books for fifth edition. Mm-hmm. There's Xanathar's, Tasha's, and some like setting stuff. There's a, there's a good amount of like setting split books.
1: Um, do you think the tie-ins they, for like Critical Role and like, Acquisitions Incorporated? That's what I was going to ask. Is like, do you think that the majority of their money? This may or may not be true. I have no idea do you think, like, most of their money comes now from Roll20 or D&D Beyond? That's their subscription service. Okay. But, like... How much money do you think comes from D&D being a sort of lifestyle brand now? Most of it. Yeah. Like, that is what it is. I mean, this is kind of what it always... This is what
0: they gain from, like... Encouraging the narrative of calling
1: RPGs D anD I mean, I guess, I guess, yeah, because I guess D anD D has always been sort of a lifestyle hobby, I guess, but I guess it no, just, I don't think so. Not until it feels like Fifth Edition really has made it that.
0: It's made it that through things like Adventure Zone mm-hmm. and Critical Role, yeah, by like using D anD D to tell stories in other mediums. Mm-hmm. suddenly d d is not just a game mmm now it's a podcast now it's a web sh- web show whereas d- before they had the books
1: yeah that's what i was gonna say is that it was it was a multimedia franchise but all of it tied back to getting you to buy figures <laughs> but like fandom
0: is so different now
1: Fan- yeah yeah i i guess wizards of the coast just has like A good finger on the pulse of, like, how fandom works. Um, And that is, like, we
0: don't need to print a million books. Yeah. We don't need to pay people to write stuff. We can just put all of the content from the books in D&D Beyond, where Mm -hmm. you can track your character sheets and, oh, I'm going to do a microtransaction. I'm going to pay $2 to unlock the soul knife rules for my rogue Mm -hmm. and apply that to my character sheet. Yeah, And, like... That's easy money. The licensing stuff with Critical Role, which is just sponsored by Wizards of the Coast, as far as I know. Mm. Like that's also easy. Do you know how many people watch Critical Role?
1: It's a lot. It's
0: way more than you think.
1: It's I know because we were ta- We've talked about this before. Yeah, because we looked at. Because I was like, no way. We've looked at this on a podcast before, and we can do it right now. But I remember, because we just took a glance at, like, <laughs> I knew that Taz was more popular than the uh, than Friends at the Table, by a pretty good margin. But I assumed that Taz and Critical Role were on the same level of popularity. They're extremely not. And they're not. <laughs> like By orders of magnitude.
0: Just the Critical Role official account, which I don't know anybody who follows official accounts for anything. Yeah. I feel like that's not what our scene does. Just the verified at Critical Role account has half a million followers on Twitter. This is
1: not Matt Mercer. This is not, you know, any of the sort of, like, cast members. Just the official account, half a million people. I mean, yeah, this is the thing that we talked about. The the Legend of Vox Machina. Yeah, Matt Mercer has even more with about 750,000. Like, three quarters of a million people follow Matt Mercer on Twitter. Um. And like, yeah, like the the Vox Machina Kickstarter. I remember when it came out because it was like. I remember doing some quick math. I I'm gonna do it right now. Actually, I can do it on the podcast. Um, Legend of Vox Machina Kickstarter.
0: I'm typing it in also. Um, it
1: was from
0: 2019.
1: So you've got 90,000 backers.
0: Holy shit. Yes. This is the thing that I, I was going to do. I forgot. Yeah, you
1: forgot. You forgot. So it's got
0: thousand backers.
1: So I'm just going to open up my calculator app here. We're going to do $11,385,449 divided by eight... 88,887 backers. That is an average pledge from backers of $130 almost. 128 Yeah. Which says something about like the audience. The, yeah, the audience. The the like the the minimum pu- tier. If you wanted to back vo- ma- if you wanted to back Box Machina, uh-huh. was twenty dollars. Yes. That was the least you could do.
0: I mean, you can always pledge less, but
1: there's no reward for that. Yeah,
0: but regardless, D and D already without this. Mm-hmm simply the biggest RPG brand.
1: Now, let's just go look, because I'm just curious. I'm gonna oh, go you want with... to see
0: what the D&D account has? No,
1: I was going to go look at, like... Do people follow Griffin on Twitter still? He doesn't tweet anymore. Who? How many people follow Justin McElroy on Twitter?
0: Well, at Wizards underscore d the verified D&D account,
1: has 410,000 followers. Okay, J- Justin is at 355, so, which is... J- just around half of what um
0: and also I will point out that some of the other cast members are about four hundred to five hundred thousand,
1: yeah, whereas Just, Matt
0: Mercer is obviously the justin the McElroy
1: has about half as many followers as Matthew Mercer has. I know the Twitter followers don't mean, yeah, but like that it, much. it is it is a quick and easy guesstimate do, do they does the adventures zone license d and d in any way? In those graphic novels, they... Does any of that know. money go back to Wizards of the Coast?
0: Theoretically, that podcast takes place
1: in Faerun, right? Theoretically, that podcast... They go to Neverwinter, which means, yeah, it takes place in Faerun. They go to Neverwinter? They go to Neverwinter in the second arc.
0: I guess... I'm this is
1: the thing that I was wondering about. I wanted to pick up the second uh, graphic novel at one point just to see, like... um. Uh, I don't what edition th- of D anD D does the Adventure Zone use? <laughs> I, I don't think. Oh, the one called D anD D. They don't even call it Fifth Edition on the cover. I think I think the Adventure Zone should do a season where they play Third Edition. No. What if <laughs> the Adventure Zone, the Adventure Zone, schmaltz. Which one do they go to Neverwinter? Gonna, in? They go to the and the train arc. The second one. The second arc with the train. Um
0: Neverwinter. <laughs> I'm
1: Googling it. Murder on the Rock Portland. Yeah, I don't go to the
0: Control-F. Control-F, Neverwinter.
1: Never. Oh! All mentions of Neverwinter are replaced by Ever Summer throughout the book. Say what you will about the McElroys. Wizard of the Coast ain't fucking touching their money. No one's touching their money. <laughs> they changed it from Neverwinter to Ever Summer. <laughs> Stupid. I guess you have to. Un- unless you're fine with unless, <laughs> unless you're fine with who of the coast touching your money and the the McElroys at all times are looking for ways for fewer people to touch their money.
0: Yeah, I'm also on the page for the first graphic novel to see if there's any any changes. Yeah, yeah. They na- renamed all of the characters from the Lost Minds of Fandelver adventure mm.
1: path, module, whatever. Clarg is now Ganache.
0: Yeah. Mm. Gun- Wave Echo Cave has become the Cavern of Dangling Death. Yeah. Yeah, they changed a whole bunch of stuff. I-, I guess that makes sense. So they're not
1: licensing D&D yeah. <laughs> for those graphic novels. But, I mean, they are still, like, growing the brand of D&D.
0: Yeah. Or, uh, in Travis's case, damaging
1: it a little bit, maybe? <laughs> um, oh. God, what was I going to say? Um, I really hope. I read that, I read Here There Be goblins. Um Oh, yes, this. I agree with what you're about to say. And so, I don't know. People in our circle of the internet who are, like, fans of um, Friends at the Table um, have long been familiar with Carrie Peach as, like, one of the greatest fan artists of anything. <laughs> one of the first fan artists of Friends at the Table. Yes. Uh, I, think, I think everybody in these parts is, like, really fond of Carrie Peach. And I read Here There be a Gerblins. Um, mostly because I was curious about how she would fare doing, like, sequential art, and I think she's really fucking good. Like, I think Carrie Peach, like, is really fucking good at making comics, and so I hope that when she finishes adapting Taz, she's sitting on a fat stack of money, and she can make whatever the fuck she wants. I will go read it once the McElroys are not involved anymore. (laughs) I'm very happy for her getting paid. I hope she's getting paid. I assume she's getting paid. Oh, she's getting paid. Her name's on the book. Her name's on the book. She better be getting fucking paid. She better be getting paid more than Clint McElroy. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Um...
1: So, yeah. I just... I hope that she does this, and... I I don't imagine that anybody is going to be adapting um, Graduation anytime soon into comic form, and so I hope that she can take that money and run and do something different. Like, I hope yeah. that she, like, yeah, makes, makes a new comic after this, because I would love to read more of her comics, but I don't care to read more uh, Taz shit no. ever.
0: <laughs> I will pick up and peruse the last two just to see if any if there's any cool like distortion art effects with the memory stuff cuz I, I like that kind of stuff but i'm not interested that
1: i'm like vaguely interested but i'm like, like not really i'm maybe academically interested in um the suffering game and here's what i want to know hmm. Is
0: the Adventure Zone a better graphic novel than it is a podcast?
1: It, I assume it has to be. In part because you're not making it up as you go along. That's true. You do. It's an adaptation. Yeah. And so this is what I was going to say. So a lot of the fandom does not like the suffering game because, like, um, I don't know. The fandom has weird problems with the suffering game. I did not like The Suffering Game because I thought it was boring. I liked it. I remember liking it. And I would be interested to read The Suffering Game in adaptation um, and see if maybe I liked it better when it was just like... Because also, Suffering Game was by the time I was listening to the podcast as it came out. Um, and then, yeah, I really don't like The Stolen Century. The ending kind of works for me. But the stolen century was really bad. I oh, I thought it was fine. I thought it was There were
0: only a couple of misses, but I thought generally I liked the the
1: gimmick. I didn't. I didn't I think that I I thought I, the game they were playing. The, the, there was the, no game. The, yeah, they were <laughs> not playing a game.
0: And that was the that was the worst part of it. I felt was that. Oh, you you have some you got to have an idea here. But you you're like you're kind of running your first draft on the podcast. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. What are you looking at?
1: This Wikipedia page for Amanda Theodosia Jones that you've got in front of me. I'm I not was, sure why. I was just
0: reading about this earlier. Okay. I, because I was looking into the history of canning.
1: Okay. Find anything interesting?
0: Well, canning is a method of food preservation in which food is processed in an airtight container. It started out with jars. Okay.
1: Um... I don't know. They
0: they figured out canning before they figured out that germs exist.
1: Really? That's wild. Why were they canning things then? Well I guess you still speak, need to preserve well, food. Specifically even when because you don't know. the French government offered a
0: cash reward of twelve thousand francs to any inventor who could devise a cheap and effective method of preserving large amounts of food during the Napoleonic Wars. Makes sense. The government was like, hey, we'll pay you to fix this problem. Yeah. We need to get this food to our soldiers.
1: I guess, even if you don't know germs exist, they are still causing problems. So, yeah, it makes sense.
0: Yeah, they don't start existing once you learn about them.
1: Um, But Apert, or Aper? Probably Aper. Uh Observed
0: that food cooked inside a jar did not spoil unless the seals leaked, and developed a method of sealing food in glass jars. Fifty years before... Wait, Pasteur. wait.
1: So Appare was cooking the food in the jars. Uh, according
0: to this sentence, yes. Uh, I don't know how that works. We can click his... He's got a great portrait here. Yeah, this is good. He looks like a Castlevania character. He looks like Shaft from Castlevania.
1: Nicholas Appare was the French inventor of airtight food preservation. Known as the father of canning, he was a confectioner. A pair described his invention as a way of conserving all kinds of food, substances, and containers. So true. Really just kind of (laughs) stated the same thing three times. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Uh. He took part in the execution of
1: King Louis XVI. However, he fell under suspicion during the reign of terror and was arrested in 1794 but was able to avoid being executed. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Shoutouts to the homie. Um, In 1804, La Maison à Père, the house of Épère, <laughs> in the town of Massé, near Paris, became the first food bottling fac- factory in the world. Do you think that's why they're called mason jars? La Maison? I mean, I can just look up. Mason jars. No.
0: Well, damn. <laughs> They're named after American tin John Landis Mason, who patented it in 1858. Well,
1: damn. I'm going to take my headset off for a second, because it's in my
0: way. Um, not to be confused with the other John Landis. <laughs> anyway, I was just looking up canning. I just was interested yep. in figuring out when canning happened. I've been watching um This was this in nineteen seventy four samples of canned food from the wreck of the Bertrand, a steamboat that sank in the Missouri River in eighteen sixty five were tested by the National Food Processors Association. Although appearance, smell, and vitamin content had deteriorated, there was no trace of microbial growth, and the hundred and nine-year-old in nineteen seventy-four food was determined to be still safe to eat.
1: That's bananas.
0: Mm, possibly. <laughs> From what um, I understand, it could have been fruit in there.
1: I've been watching a lot of Technology Connections, a YouTube channel lately, that just kind of explains, like, here's how CDs work. Here's... The the video I watched yesterday was about flex play. Do you know what flex play is? I did
0: put extra d- uh, detergent in the dishwasher. Yeah. Yeah, you did. <laughs>
1: yeah, you did. So, it does have a hole for that. It has a hole for that. Yeah. <laughs> um... <laughs> Yeah, so yesterday I was watching his video about Flexplay. Are you familiar with this at all? No. It was a thing that was around in 2008, so, like, at the time when you could... 2008, when you could go to Blockbuster, Redbox, or get DVDs in the mail from Netflix. But the idea of Flexplay was returning things as a hassle. How do we uh, do DVDs at rental prices... Um, without people having to return them, and so you would get these DVDs in vacuum-sealed packages, and you would open them up, and as soon as they were exposed to oxygen, a, like, process would start to, like, uh, that would take 48 hours would start. So as soon as you open it up, you have 48 hours to watch this movie, and at the end of the forty-eight hours, like basically the disc would become sort of blackened, so that um, like disc re- like DVD lasers could not read the disc, um, and then you would just throw the disc out. Um, and it failed for a couple of reasons. Oh, one, weird! One, <laughs> um, no one wanted it. Two, there were a bunch of different options, and three. A lot of people had uh, qualms about the environmental impact of, <laughs> oh, we're just going to manufacture hundreds of thousands of disks that are designed to be tossed out after two days. And then, so, so the company came up with like, well, here's a way that you can, like, bring it back to us to recycle it, which then defeats the whole purpose. <laughs> With DVD, you don't have to return. It's just really funny. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, if you want to know more about that, uh, go to Technology Collections. I really like that YouTube channel. Yeah, seems neat. Um, I was going to ask you something about D&D. Do you want? Did you were you gonna ask me to play D anD D? No,
0: I'm going to in a few hours. I love that for in you. Less than an
1: hour. Um, so I got you that uh, art and Arcana book. The yeah, we talked about it on the episode that we recorded right when we got back from Texas, but I hadn't bought it for you yet. I that came in this and week. Molly. Yeah, me and Molly got it for you. How did you? How are you liking it? I know I saw you flipping through it. It's cool.
0: I posted um, some pictures on it on my locked, but. Uh, there's just lots of cool art in there. Lots of bad cool art. Yeah. Um. Yeah. There's some pages where they show, here's all
1: the different versions of Drizzt that we've drawn. I really liked that page. There were some There's Drizzt's... a guy on there that's not Drizzt. There was a guy who was like, that's not Drizzt. You say that's Drizzt, but that's not Drizzt. I don't know what was happening in the late 90s. I. <laughs> no one does.
0: It was like, right... that's it was right before they switched from paintings to like digital art. Mm-hmm. And so drizzed of the, like, specifically 97 to 99 has just lots of wrinkles and poofy white hair. Yeah. In a way that is, like, totally different from every other era of Driz and I don't understand the choice there. He looks like he's
1: from an 80s, like, band. I reminded you, thank you for saying the words late Did 90s. You reminded me? You reminded me. Thank you. Did I? You reminded me of something. Well, you said that you reminded me. I know what I said! <laughs> <laughs> I misspoke. Be nice to me. No. I'm the cat. Um... You reminded me of why we were doing this podcast to begin with, which is that we came home from the bookstore, and we were coming upstairs, and um, you said something that hurt me in my soul, and we started talking about it in the same tone of voice that we just podcast about, and so we're like, I guess we're just going to do export. I don't feel as strongly about this as you do. You said Rob Liefeld sucks, and I wanted to fight you. <laughs> you said Rob Liefeld art is bad. And I... W- <laughs> I was hurt. I was upset. Hmm. I was... <laughs> well, I'm looking at some Rob Liefeld art right now. You I have <laughs> Rob
0: Liefeld art,
1: but only the bad ones.
0: You don't need to blow up my spot like that. <laughs> I just, you know... If you okay, that's fine. I don't know why that came up. That's fine.
1: You're looking at the cover for some uh, young blood uh, issue. Of young blood. Look up. Look up covers for the Prophet. Look up Rob Liefeld Prophet covers. And hopefully, we will not get covers for the Braden Graham revival. I love this shit. Hmm. This shit's good. Um. Coadas. That's that's the iconic one. This. Um, yeah. That's a meatball. <laughs> Here's the thing about Rob Liefeld. Look at that. One, his line art is better than like his coloring often gives him credit for.
0: Yes, but also. I don't care how good your line art is if
1: the thing you're drawing is a turd. <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying that I think early 90s Rob Liefeld is better because, like, digital coloring, like, really does him a disservice. Yes. Um And, it, like, all his strong lines are just get erased in this, like, wash of airbrushing bullshit. Um, I mean, I still like some of these profit ones we're looking at, but... um like Rob Liefeld, X-Men. So, a lot of um, comic artists, I feel like... um, Now, what you said (laughs) was that too
0: many comic artists think that they've fooled themselves into thinking they're making art.
1: That is what I said. (laughs) I was... This is... No, it's not. Never mind. A lot of um, comics artists have fooled themselves into thinking that they're making things that are respectable. Um, They think they're making like... (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) too Too many comic artists do not embrace the form. I feel that Rob Liefeld knows that Comics art is about indulgence, it is about excess, it is about being fucking stupid as shit, and no one is dumber than Rob Liefeld. <laughs> the thing is, is that the
0: things he wants to draw in excess are things like,
1: I'm going to give this, this man gorgeous. tree trunks for legs. This, this, uh, extra wide cover for X Force issue one. Um, it's an iconic cover. It's fucking incredible. You can't tell <laughs> this me this isn't great.
0: arms are stuck where they are.
1: <laughs>
0: Everything that... How does Cable
1: wipe his ass? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Answer me that.
1: Because <laughs> he's a cartoon man.
0: How do you feel about this?
1: I don't like this. How do you feel about this? This is okay. This is is, is normal to me. This is, I would, I'm kind of surprised that's Rob Liefeld. Um, There's sometimes the digital coloring, the airbrushing and the gradients, I think do work to his advantage. This cover for Domino number one, I think like that is like digital gradient coloring that works for me. It looks um, like
0: the coloring also has more texture than yes. like, I am accustomed to a Marvel comic having. Yes,
1: a, a Marvel comic post Like Look at this, look at how
0: smooth and yeah. slimy this fucking... This I don't cover for this. Major
1: is this, X is... Is this
0: fucking Deadpool? I don't know. Oh, is this Major X?
1: Yeah, that's probably the guy whose name it is on the cover. I,
0: I didn't think about it.
1: <laughs> this cover for All New X-Men uh, number 3 is pretty good. I like this. Look at his Deadpool. The way he draws Deadpool is great. I love the way Rob draws Deadpool. You can't take that from me. I love the way he draws Wolverine. He draws Wolverine like a shifter from 4th edition D&D. The other thing that Rob Liefeld remembers that so many comics artists forget... Uh I think I think John Byrne (laughs) forgets this a lot. This man has no dick. I keep thinking that this man is Judge Dredd. This major X guy, I keep thinking he's Judge Dredd.
0: You can look at Wolverine right next to him, he's got a dick.
1: Yeah. This guy right here, no dick. So the thing that Rob remembers that I think John Byrne forgets a lot, that a lot of artists forget, is that is that Wolverine's a little guy. My man's is five foot one. He is a short king. Rob remembers this. It comes up in the art constantly. He draws He draws Wolverine like brick shithouse. Because <laughs> he is compact and he's ready to kill motherfuckers. This is a good Magneto. Yeah, it's a pretty good Magneto. It's hard to draw a bad Magneto, I would say. Yeah, that guy's great. I love him. Um, you
0: know what? In fact...
1: Rob Liefeld Magneto.
0: What do we got? We got that one? Oh, this is
1: great. It's, like, photorealistic. That's just a picture of Ian McKellen.
0: <laughs> it really smoothed his face in this one, huh? Or is this just from 1999 and that's what he looked like?
1: I think that's just from 1999. It feels I photoshopped. It I don't feels know. photoshopped. I don't know. Could not tell you. This is bad. We're looking at a picture of Professor X strangling Magneto. Trying to. Trying to. This is a bad image. That's a good image of Wolverine. That's pretty good. I don't like that Beast. Beast is probably my favorite. His name is Logan. Be nice. (sighs) (laughs) Ever since I was a kid, both Beast and Nightcrawler have been my favorite X-Men, and I don't know how much of that is just they were blue guys, and I was five, and I thought the blue guys were cool. It's probably because you thought the blue guys were cool. Look at this Shard play. God, look at this! Is cable and shard plate, yo. <laughs> Nightcrawler is cool. Nightcrawler is the best X Man. No question. Know. I don't know. Who's your favorite X Man? Is it Storm? You're gonna laugh at me. No, I'm not Psylocke. Yeah. No, okay. <laughs> yeah. She's cool, and she has mind blades. For me, it's Nightcrawler and then probably Storm.
0: The one that I read some of that I really liked was this specific Uncanny X-Force where they had these black and white outfits. It's Wolverine, Deadpool, Angel, Psylocke, and Phantom X. I like... um, Do you know Phantom X?
1: I'm familiar with Phantom X. He's like a psychic guy, which I also like. I really like Rick Remender sometimes. Sometimes I find him insufferable, but sometimes, like, when he hits, he hits. Um, Deadly Class got pretty bad, but, uh, you should, you should read, like, that first, the first volume or two of Deadly Class, maybe. Cause, like, when Rick Remender is, when Rick Remender is good, he's really good. Like, it makes sense to me that you would like Uncanny X-Force cuz like I can imagine like his talents being really suited to yeah, You're to describing
0: this. a an author or a writer or a writer. A, an artist or a writer.
1: Rick, Rick Remender is the writer.
0: It the first issue has them finding Apocalypse mm-hmm. as a child. Yeah. And then I think I knew this. Deadpool shoots him. Yep. He's like a baby. Yeah. I think Deadpool kills baby yeah. Apocalypse or maybe it's I it, it's, I think Cyclops might be. In- no, Cyclops is in the other team.
1: Because isn't this, isn't the premise of Uncanny X-Force that this is the sort of like X-Men Black Ops team? I think so. Which is like, I can see how Rick Remender does pretty good at that. You should read Deadly Class, which is a book about like a school for assassins in the 80s, and so like I I don't remember. I only read two volumes. I think that book is building up to them like assassinating Reagan. Um, and it's kind of like sometimes it's pretty bad, but like when it's good, it's really
0: no. Good. It's not Deadpool. It's Phantom X who shoots the child in the head. Yes, who I don't know much about Phantom X. I'd never heard of him before now, Do you, but he has he's psychic and he has a spaceship.
1: Do you know what Apocalypse I, is up to right now? In ask me anything. Would you like to know what Apocalypse is up to right now in X-Men comics? Is
0: it related to the guy with the dumb helmet? Magneto? No, the new dumb helmet with the big X on it. Oh, Xavier. What?
1: That's Xavier, I'm pretty sure.
0: X-Men guy with dumb helmet. (laughs) New, not Magneto. (laughs) I should just okay. I should just delete Nod. I so
1: I need to caveat this with like I have not read these. I just listened to a a podcast that talks about these comics, and so all is secondhand. Oh, it's the
0: fucking Cerebro
1: helmet. It's the Cerebro helmet.
0: Is Cerebro from the comics, or is that originally in the movie? That
1: is from the comics. Okay. Um, Xavier, House of X. Yeah, yeah, this sucks. Yeah, it was. Barely... I don't know why he's walking now. I'm not clear on I, that. You know. Anyway, would you like to know what uh, Apocalypse is up to these days? Sure. So I'm not clear on like the mechanics of this, but on Krakoa, which is the sort of new, like island nation where only mutants live, and where all the mutants live. Okay. Presumably. Uh, th- there is something about, like, you can bring people back from the dead, however, you must defeat Apocalypse in single combat. So Apocalypse lives on Krakoa, and he just has an arena that he chills out in all day, and sometimes people show up to fight him. <laughs> that's all he's doing from what I am given to understand.
0: That sounds pretty sick. Um, and Here's a cool uh, Nightcrawler. That's a good
1: Nightcrawler. Apocalypse. Here's
0: Apocalypse with a sword.
1: Accept this gift. You've earned it. That's good.
0: This is Dalinar
1: Kalin. This is Dalinar Kalin, to me. Uh Marvel.fandom.com. What's he up to? What's this
0: guy doing? It's really funny that Jerus Sabiath is just um reading too many X-Men comics, and that's why he's like that. <laughs> <laughs> Because here's a picture of Apocalypse giving the Sabaoth speech that Luke gives, to Luke, that he gives to Luke about how humans hate and fear us for being powerful.
1: I don't like, uh, I don't like comics that use mixed case like this. <clears throat> I feel like you gotta use all caps. How do you feel about the big A on Apocalypse's belt? That's fucking <laughs> sick. Comics are dumb. And people should recognize that comics are dumb. <laughs> Here's... Here's Kitty Pride <laughs> dueling Apocalypse with a sword. And also she has the flower necklace thing. I, okay. I, this, is, this headline here, Apocalypse, the X-Men's Deadly New Crucible Ritual. Let's look at this, because I want to make sure I'm right. It's revealed that X-Mutants can die in ritual combat and regain their powers. Um...
0: Oh, so there was an event that made a lot of mutants lose their powers. Okay. And so if you die in this ritual death, you can come back with your powers? I guess so. Oh, this is this is a result of
1: Scarlet Witch. Yes. Yes. They have spent 15 years trying to undo uh no more mutants. <laughs>
0: So they just are expected to lose to Apocalypse in order to regain their... So Apocalypse gets to hang out all day and kill people. <laughs> it's It specifically seems to be a cloning and mind transfer related process as well that lets people have a utopia in the Mutant Island.
1: So this is weird, but like... Uh, okay. Apocalypse gets to hang out all day and kill people and in doing so... Makes more mutants, so I can't imagine a better fate for that guy. <laughs> He's living it the fuck up. <laughs> God, that guy is so happy.
0: <laughs> I wish X men was a novel series that I could just read. yeah, that's what the movies are for. no
1: i wish I wish big two comics were at all approachable in any way. I wish someone would come in and just like clean house and be like. Here's how the fuck you read these books.
0: Okay, for the next three years, we're doing this continuity. And you, anything published 2022 to 2025 is all related, and anything outside of that is doesn't touch
1: it. They d- Boom. You get to write no. any story you want. No, they do this all the time, and every time they fuck it up. How do you fuck that up? They did it in 2011. The new 52 was this. And in inside of a year, there was... Okay. New 52. This is this Flash bullshit? New 52, 2011. DC says, all right. Like, they did a big event, and they wiped the slate clean. They Everything off the table. We were starting from square one. We started a, for the first time ever, they renumbered Batman. Batman had been running continuously through issue 700 or something. And they started at issue one again. They did this with Superman. And the first story, Superman origin story, Wonder Woman origin story, Batman origin story. Like, all this shit. And inside of a year of this relaunch, the Superman from the old universe shows up. Like, hey guys, what's up? And, like, within a year, they fucked it up. Because within a year, continuity... For, that they said doesn't count anymore. They said doesn't exist anymore. Shows up. It's fucking bullshit. They can You can't trust these people. They're too. They're too up their own asses. And so, like, the thing that is so frustrating about Big Two comics is that, like, every three months you hear about. Ever since the New Fifty Two happened, like every three months you hear about. Oh, Marvel is starting Spider Man over with a new number one. Uh, and this is a great jumping on point, except that you pick it up and it's Spider-Man. The first issue is always Spider-Man talking to a bunch of characters, you know, and just delivering exposition about like, I, I picked up uh, the, the Chip Zdarsky's Spectacular Spider-Man number one. And it's the first issue is just him going to get lunch with various characters as they like explain like. Hi, I'm Mary Jane, and here's what's going on in my life right now. Spider-Man and I aren't dating. I'm dating this other guy. And then he goes and hangs out with the Human Torch, and the Human Torch is like, Hey, Spider-Man, here's what's going on in my life right also, now. Also, here's a blunt. <laughs> and, yeah, that too. Um
0: <laughs> and, like, call this, me the Human Torch because of
1: my superpowers, you know. This is a comic that I enjoyed. I liked that spectacular Spider-Man number one. I haven't read the rest of the series yet, but like, I like that. All of them, they keep saying, this is a good jumping on point, And all of them require you to know what's been going on. And the only reason that I know what's going on is because I listen to a podcast. Because I don't have time to read, like, 40 issues of the Avengers just to know what's going on with Spider-Man in the new spectacular Spider-Man number one. I hate it.
0: Sorry. This is why there's a whole industry around, you know... Marvel such and such
1: explained what you need to know for the new series. But I hate, like I'm just too normal about it because I know <laughs> all of these things. I know exactly what's happening to Batman right now. But what's I Batman feel Batman
0: up to right now.
1: I don't know about right now.
0: Where is he in his house? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, so what I know is that they did DC rebirth, which was like a soft reboot of everything in 2016. Tom King was writing it for a couple years. Everybody hated it. James Tynian took over from Tom King. People are liking the James Tynian stuff more. Um, Also, as far as I know, it is the first time a gay person has written Batman, which is pretty cool. Um, But uh, we're not connected to the the internet. internet.
0: The internet doesn't want me to Google Apocalypse
1: vs. Thanos
0: (laughs) to see if the two blue guys ever fought.
1: So I don't know what's going on with Batman right now, but I know that there's recently been, like, oh, James Tynion took over, and people are liking it more. But yeah, like, I know all this stuff. The problem is that I want to read all the stories, and, like, I feel like I can't read, you know, the new Spider-Man stories, because, like, in part of my brain, I'm like, well, I've never read the Clone Saga. So clearly I can't understand what's going on I mean, Spider-Man shows up, Mm -hmm. and...
0: The devil is there, and the devil says, "Around the survivors, a perimeter create." (laughs) And then Spider-Man divorces Mary Jane, and also that's the Clone Wars that begun. They have, there you go. Thanks. Is the devil that Spider-Man makes a deal with the same as the one that Ghost Rider makes? Yes. Yes. Has anybody thought
1: about like taking care of that guy? Yes. Can we get Constantine in here or something? Uh, I'm reasonably certain. So there was a book I really liked. I dropped off it because the artist um, is an Um, anti-Semite. Called The the Immortal Hulk. Um, Oh, I
0: remember this from like a year or two ago.
1: I really like The Immortal Hulk. It is a sort of like new spin on Hulk that makes it a horror comic. Um, And I was really liking it. Um, Like I say, fell off because of the anti-Semitism. Um, Understandable. Um But I'm reasonably, I don't... Uh, surely someone at some point in that book is like, hey, what if we did something about Mephisto? That feels like a thing that's going to happen at that book. I read maybe five volumes. It hadn't happened yet, but that book ran a while. You'd think that at some point. That book ran like another 25 issues after what I read, at least. Someone's probably said, hey, let's get this motherfucker. You'd think the
0: ghostwriter could be like, hey, Xavier, um, you've solved a lot of problems in your day. <laughs> um, can you kill Satan for me? <laughs> Isn't there actually. Makes- Isn't Satan a different character in Marvel? From Mephisto? I don't know. I feel like Satan's real.
1: I do know there's that time that the that Ghost Rider and the thing hung out with Jesus.
0: Sounds pretty good.
1: There, Let me see it. We've def- thing, we for wait, sure no, talked I, about sorry, this before. Sorry.
0: I thought... I got my big two mixed up. I thought you meant that Ghost Rider and the Swamp Thing hung <laughs> out with Jesus. Oh my god, that would be good. <laughs> that would be really good. They can't hang out because... He would ignite him with his flaming skeleton powers.
1: So I have 100% for sure talked about this on this podcast before, but I will just pull it up real quick. Uh, It's Marvel two in one was a series in the 70s, I believe, where it was like the thing um, teaming up with uh, other other characters right so marvel two and one um number i don't have an issue number here but it's fine some issue of oh marvel two and one issue number eight um has the thing and ghost rider in silent night deadly night um and it's christmas and there's something about the thing not celebrating because he's Jewish. And because he's not celebrating, like, he, like, sees Ghost Rider somewhere. Like, the rest of the Fantastic Four are having, like, a Christmas get-together. And the thing is, like, well, I'll just go hang out with Ghost Rider or something. And at some point, time travel happens, and they are at they are at, at the nativity. <laughs> this, is, this is the extent of what I remember. I'm just... I have, I have not read this. I have just heard this described. Does that... This is March
0: 1975.
1: Okay, sure. Whatever. I'm not going to think about the ramifications of that. I just think... It, the main detail that I remembered was that the reason the thing is on this adventure is because everyone else in the Fantastic Four is celebrating Christmas. Did they not <laughs>
0: invite him? <laughs>
1: Did they not invite him? Did he turn it down?
0: What? Like, I understand not celebrating Christmas, but like, a party is different from the holiday itself, right? Like, they'll still be drinking. <laughs> like, maybe I don't understand, but I have to play D&D soon. You have to play D&D soon. I gotta prep the session.
1: Yeah. Sorry to waste all your time talking about bullshit. I
0: hate spending time with you. My wife. That's right. The old Spalding and Chain. like 200 basketball. (laughs) (laughs) Where can people find you online? You already know. At neither Nora. (sighs) NoraBlake.online. I just, today, I scheduled 11 episodes of Back to the Ark. 11? Yeah.
1: In a row?
0: Well, two every week.
1: I was trying to say that in the same sort of inflection as 37. No. Oh, you know what episode this is? 137. 137? <laughs> in a row? <laughs> <laughs> Where do people find you online? Try not to suck any dick on the parking
0: lot. <laughs> well, thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, add a
1: tunnel and for coffin. Autumnal underscore coffee. I didn't really enunciate that first time. Yeah, I just kind of swallowed. What's it like my words.
0: to record a podcast sober for once? Weird. Uh, we will be back with two
1: nautical adventures in the next couple weeks. Also, uh, because of all the overtime I've been working, Godzilla's not dead. Might miss July, but we'll just do two months, two episodes in August. So. For all you $5 patrons and for all you potential $5 patrons, um, yeah.
0: There, uh, there
1: will be two episodes in August if we do not make, if that, make it. If you wanted a p- monthly podcast that comes
0: out every month and never misses, you should listen to fucking Abnormal Mapping, not Export Audio, because they've never missed a month. I have had a rough month. <laughs> okay. Yeah. They've just never missed a month in like seven years, somehow. Nine years. Nine? They have been running nine years. Hmm. I thought it was seven. This was seven when I started listening. Seven when you started listening. (laughs) This is the same reason
1: my grandma was eighty two when I was when I first started becoming aware of however old my grandma was, and so for years in my head she was eighty two.
0: This is why I think that all Super Nintendo games came out in nineteen ninety three.
1: Yeah, because Doom did. Doom is not a Super Nintendo game. Yes, it is. No, it's not. Well, I it can't, can't, I, can't it out. I can't
0: pull it up <laughs> on the laptop, but if I type in
1: That's not true.
0: That's impossible.
1: I really don't mean to say that's not true as much as I do, but I I do say it a lot. Hey, check then, it
0: out, it's Doom. Fuck off. On the Super Nintendo. It's got a red cartridge. That's sick as shit. Yeah, this one
1: says Jesse on it in permanent marker. <laughs> Yeah, Doom is on the fucking Super Nintendo. That's amazing. That's so a you go. Well, I apologize.
0: Name something that can't run Doom. The NES. The NES.
1: I don't think anyone's ported Doom to the NES. Sega Genesis. Someone's probably done that. That might be real. Someone's probably done that as a bit, at least. I mean, that's the, that's the same as the Super Nintendo. It's not on the Nintendo 64. There is a Doom game, but it's different. Here's Doom
0: NES. Seems to look like normal Doom. Which is surprising to me. But, you know. Anyway. Uh, Any last notes? Any final words? Aragon. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> um, I have a podcast idea for you that I want to hit you with, okay, and I know that they do this on Book of Medora at mm-hmm. some point. I haven't reached it yet. I want us to make a Zelda timeline
1: okay, we can do that yeah
0: um, I've been listening to Book of Medora on audio entropy. It's a Zelda lore podcast. I've been knocking over shit.
1: We were talking at lunch today about like. The possibility of me bringing back Zero Heroes, which is, like, if it happens months and months away. and we'll It wouldn't see. be 2021. It would not be in 2021. um, But that is, like, a thing that is in my mind, because Zero Heroes is, like, my favorite podcast idea that I've never been able to really pull off for various reasons.
0: <clears throat> yeah.
1: But, we'll see. I have an idea for how to make it work. And it is more possible at my new position at my job, because, like, I work the same mm-hmm. schedule every week, more or less. Like, sometimes I work 2 to 10 on Monday, and sometimes I work, like, one thirty to 10 on Monday. But I work basically the same schedule. So I have an idea of how to make it possible, but it's a ways off. Um, until
0: next time... Uh.
1: Yo-ho-ho. And a bottle of cum. (laughs) You're making a face at me.